Welcome to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I am Christina Wang. I'm on faculty at the Baylor College of Medicine, and it is really a pleasure to be moderating today's discussion. And it's really a great privilege to welcome our esteemed panelists today and three of my good friends. First, we have Dr. Brian Doe from the Retina Group of Washington. Hey, Brian. Hey, Christina. Thanks for having me. Nice to see everybody. And then Dr. Murnali Gupta from Retina Associates of Orange County. Hey, Murnali. Thank you for having me, Christina. Great to have you. And last but not least, Dr. Demetra Skander, who's on faculty at the University of Chicago. Great to see you, Demetra. Hello, everybody. Thanks for inviting me. And I look forward to a very fascinating retina session. Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time to New Retina Radio Journal Club, let me tell you how it works. We choose one or two high impact recent papers that were published and we dissect them. We go through the data in detail and sort of summarize the top line points that should be gleaned from them. But really the majority of our time is focused on the discussion where we try to extrapolate the data and clinically translate it into a way that we can use in our everyday lives to improve patient care. And so we're very excited today. This is a special journal club because it's not every day that you have one of the lead authors of the paper that's chosen here as one of the panelists. But our very own Murnali Gupta is gonna be uh, the focus of today. She and her colleagues recently published um, in Ophthalmology Retina this month, a paper called Ocular Outcomes After Treatment of Cytomegalovirus Retinitis Using Adoptive Immunotherapy with Cytomegalovirus-Specific Cytotoxic T Lymphocytes. Ooh, that's a mouthful, but to summarize it up, and Murnali, I'm so excited to hear more about this complex topic from you, but basically you're taking CMV-specific T cells generated from healthy CMV seropositive donors and then infusing them into patients to help them fight their CMV retinitis. Hopefully I didn't butcher that, but Renali, I'm, exactly right. <laughs> I'm gonna turn things over to you to summarize this paper. That's exactly right. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, discuss this paper. You know, as we all know, CMV retinitis afflicts those patients who are unable to mount an effective T cell response against the virus themselves, whether they have AIDS or they're on immunosuppressants for stem cell or solid organ transplants. And so the mainstay of therapy is reconstituting their own immune system, but that is not always possible. And so we have an arsenal of other things that we can use to help them along. And those primarily center around antiviral therapies, very effective therapies for most patients, but not for everyone. Some patients have um, systemic issues, the, uh, side effects or toxicities or medical conditions that prevent them from using some of these systemic agents. And um, other patients have mutations in the virus itself that renders them resistant to some or sometimes most of our intravitreal and systemic antivirals. So there's a small subset of patients. This is a rare thing, but there's a small subset of patients that despite your best efforts, they continue to have progressive CMV retinitis and you basically are just watching them lose vision. And it's mostly those patients who you just can't get their immune system back up, whether it's um, end-stage AIDS, or they require potent immunosuppressive therapies that you can't wean off. And so the paper here describes a novel therapeutic approach, call it a rescue approach, for those patients who just aren't responding to what we have available today. And as you noted, it's intravenous systemic infusion of T cells specifically targeting the CMV virus from a donor. So their immune system can't fight CMV, so you're giving them somebody else's immune cells in order to fight the virus itself. This is something that is, has been pioneered not by us, uh, not by my, my colleagues at Cornell, but, but by those at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center who take care of all kinds of patients with stem cell transplants who 
you know, overcome their cancer and they overcome their um, transplant and all the issues associated with that. And sometimes systemic CMV ends up being the thing that, um, you know, ends up causing them to, to lose the battle. So they have developed a way where they take donor blood, they collect the T cells, they sensitize them to the CMV antigens, and then can infuse them in patients with CMV infections systemically. And they've had good success for systemic infections. And in fact, the first patient that we treated at Cornell was a patient who was not there to get infusion for their retinitis, but he had ALL, he had systemic CMV virus for a year or more, just wasn't responding. He had some mutations he was resistant to. He therefore was going to Sloan Kettering for these infusions. And just before he arrived in New York, he developed a few weeks before he developed CMV retinitis. He gets to Cornell, we evaluate his eyes. Of course, we recommended injections. Um, he had some reasons why he couldn't take systemic uh, treatments and he declined. And so we went over there and watched him and look, looked at him every day or two while he was getting the T-cell infusions and miraculously the, the retinitis just melted away. And he's had a sustained resolution for now six years since that time. Um, so over the course of the years, we shared this, these and a few other cases with colleagues and from time to time, patients would get sent to Cornell for this treatment for their retinitis. And we wanted to know what happened to these patients. Did they do well? Did they not do well? How do they compare to other patients? So this is just a retrospective cohort study. We looked at all patients treated for CMV retinitis at Cornell and a subset of those 10 eyes had been treated with CMV specific T cells and 26 eyes had been treated with our standard of care agents. And um, if you look at the CMV T cell group, most were patients who were on either um, for a stem cell transplant or solid organ transplants, they were on immunosuppressive therapies. They had all had a protracted course of CMV infection. All of them had had systemic agents. All of them had had um, systemic antivirals. Some for years had been getting intravitreal injections every single week or more often. And uh, the indications for the T cells in all of those patients was refractory CMV infection, 70% due to the retinitis itself being refractory and about 30% had refractory systemic disease and just happened to have retinitis, um, but we hadn't yet classified it as refractory. 42% um, had mutations that rendered them resistant to systemic agents and 30% were just intolerant to um, getting intravitreal injections every week or two for years or months and months on end. 57% had toxicities or side effects that limited their systemic agents. And so, so what happened to them? The average patient got two rounds of CTLs, a round is three weekly infusions. 60% um, were treated with other antivirals, either systemic or intravitreal. 40% of the eyes only got the T cells and 90% achieved resolution on an average of 3.6 months. 80% had stable or improved vision, 40% stable, 40% worse, 20% sorry, 40% improved, 40% stable, and 20% worsened. One of those had a detachment. There were two cases of CME. One had CME before the T cells, and it was minimal. It was associated with some perifoveal retinitis itself. The other had CMV, uh, CME developed during the infusions, but it responded to a short course of topical steroids. And we were you know, keenly looking out for immune-related complications, like an immune recovery uveitis type picture. And we didn't see any notable worsening or new AC or vitreous cells or vasculitis or unexplained vision loss. We compared this to a very imperfect control group of patients who got standard therapies, imperfect because the T cell group was a rescue group. They, they tended to have disease for longer. They had all been got, getting intravitreal injections. 
they had a high rate of mutations uh, rendering resistance to antivirals, but we didn't we did not notice any notable um, safety signals. In fact, they might have had a, a trend towards worse baseline vision and yet similar final visual outcomes. Well, thank you for that excellent summary, Mernali, and congratulations on this original work. You know, as retina specialists, we all know that sometimes CMV retinitis can be extremely difficult to treat, especially when our options are limited because the patient can't tolerate those medications or from adverse effects that can co correlate with some of our conventional treatments. So even though it's a small study, like you said, I do think it's encouraging to see these positive results that 90% had resolution, 80% had stable to improve visual acuity, especially since, like you, like you stated, this cohort was probably the, the more challenging cases is what it represented. So Ryan, I'm gonna ask you first, what was your main impression from this paper? Um, so first of all, I have to reiterate uh, what you just said, Christina Mernali, uh, congratulations to you and the rest of the team on this fantastic uh, representation of translational research. I think this is like the pinnacle of, of what we strive for in medicine. And this is how we become better as physicians. And this is how we offer better treatments to our patients. Um, I agree, you know, obviously from a scientific standpoint that there are limitations here, but, you know, we had, you had patients um, who received no other treatment aside from the cytotoxic, cytotoxic T lymphocytes who got better. And I have a hard time believing that the natural history of their disease would have been one of resolution in the absence of that treatment. So um, again, I think, you know, as the paper suggested, you guys will need to perform randomized controlled trials uh, to determine whether or not this is something that'll be comparable in efficacy to what already exists or perhaps even better. Um, but I think it's very promising, at least uh, from what limited data we have. And again, kudos. Great. And how about you, Demetra? What were your impressions? Uh, well, I agree with um, what you said and Brian. So this is great work. And this is how, you know, when you're at the front of medicine, um, to kind of like I try to apply this new medication initially with anecdotal desperate cases and then you feel a little more comfortable if you applied it in the case series uh, and yes so we can talk about the limitations this retrospective is or otherwise but these are very rare cases to begin with and the majority of them actually respond to the standard of care so I think that even though theoretically we all like to say yeah we need to do prospective randomized studies I don't think practically um how realistic that would be and how long it would take. Uh, and also not, not, not forget that um, these are very specialized treatments that cannot, you cannot get them everywhere. And I know that because I had a patient, because uh, I remember I seen a, a Mirnal's presentation with a, a horrible semiretinitis transplant patient, um, a monocular uh, perifoveal CMV with biweekly intravitreal foscarnate and systemic that it keep on getting worse. And uh, I actually discussed that potentially with his insurance company, the oncologist, if you say to Cornell, they say, well, it's not covered, it's out of protocol. So even though I wanted to send him, we couldn't send him in eventually, like he responded, but uh, I think that awareness is important. So more centers, uh, at least in major metropolitan and um, uh, institutions can develop the technology so it can help patients uh, uh, all around the country for those that are not likely to get there. But it's fantastic work. And I think it's very clear. We all know that you would not do these cases for eyes that respond to systemic or intravitreal. So the fact that you salvage so you had better, if, if not better, but probably at least equal outcomes with the standard care, uh, to me, it's very solid evidence uh, that this treatment works. And I would not necessarily think we need a prospective randomized trial to know that this is a, a good option for these patients. Congratulations, Renal, this great work. 
Well, thanks for those preliminary comments, guys. We're going to take a very short break. And when we return, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this paper. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. I'm Christina Wang, and it's my pleasure to be joined here today by Drs. Brian Doe, Murnali Gupta, and Dimitra Skandra. Thanks for sticking with us. I'd like to now move our discussion towards the clinical relevance of this paper that we discussed before the break. So one of the interesting aspects, in my opinion, of CMV retinitis is that there can actually be quite a bit of variability in the way that we manage this condition. Brian, do you mind starting us off? How do you generally approach a newly diagnosed CMV retinitis patient? What do you do? Okay, so assuming uh, you know this particular patient has had confirmation of uh, CMV virions and aqueous or vitreous via PCR, um, I'll usually start with at least uh, once weekly injections of intravitreal uh, antiviral medication, whether it's uh, foscarnet or gancyclovir, uh, with simultaneous initiation of uh, typically oral uh, valgancyclovir. Um, depending on the, the practice setting, I might monitor the patients myself uh, for toxicity. Um, and I typically treat um, with intravitreal injections until I begin to see the retinitis uh, retreat, which can take uh, several weeks depending on the case. And yeah, that's, that's about it. That's, that's my sort of standard uh, treatment regimen. Um, yeah. Yeah, great. Very similar to my own. Murnali, Dimitra, do you two do anything different from what Brian just described? No, same approach. Uh, if I don't see an appropriate response after a period of time, then I might escalate care. I'll get a tap and send them for uh, resistance mutations to see if there's a, a change in therapy that would be appropriate. And I consider admitting them for IV antivirals. Great. And, and so that's really interesting that you bring that up, Murnali, because one thing that I thought was really interesting in reading this paper was I didn't realize it was such a high percentage, 25 to 30% of CMV retinitis patients demonstrate some sort of resistance after nine months of therapy, which is also surprising. And it was also a good reminder that the mutations UL54 or UL97, I think it is, mm -hmm. um, in the virus can actually render those CMV patients resistant to some of our classic therapies, gancyclovir, valgancyclovir, fosternet. So uh, I heard you say that if you see any demonstration of suspected resistance, you might send for those. Brian and Demetra, do you routinely send for viral sequencing when you send your aqueous or vitreous specimens? I mean, I have not done that before, but I know I'll be paying more attention to that. I said it if I don't see a response that we expect uh, for the course. And just back to your other question, I think it's very important for these patients, uh, unless ID uh, team is already involved, to really involve uh, ID team, because they're very sick patients and you like someone besides the retinal doctor follow their labs and respond to systemic treatment. Um, and I don't always do intravitreal. It depends if it's one eye, both eyes, extent and location. If it's a small area, peripheral retina, CMV does not um, progress that fast. So uh, if they have already systemic treatment, I'll just give the chance for the systemic treatment with close follow-up to respond. But if it's like widespread, uh, fovea threatening, monocular patient or bilateral, I would consider that it's a very aggressive um, or are concerned that the nerve may be involved a more aggressive with combination of both systemic and uh, intravitreal. I don't always get ACTAP uh, if it's already known to be 
uh, viremia in the blood, and the picture is typical for CMV. Uh, I will not always take it up, but um, I think that I try to provide like a more customized. I don't routinely do mutation checking unless, again, I don't see a response to uh, treatment. And that's why intravitally usually I give oscarnet because in case it's a mutating, a resistant to agarcyclovir, at least I don't lose weeks trying to figure it out. And personally, I have not seen signs of toxicity. I'm going to say that I've got very few endophthalmitis in my career. One of them was one of the patients I got foscarded regularly. So unless you need to get, and maybe it's just, again, it's the one case that uh, kind of like traumatizes us and he's monocular as well. Luckily he went back to baseline, he's 20, 30 miraculously still. But um, uh, unless you absolutely have to take the injections, let's also forget the immune system the patients don't work very well. So sometimes less is better unless you really need to do uh, procedures and invasive treatments. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I want to shift our focus now to sort of some of the logistical um, challenges or issues that are involved with even generating these types of therapy. So these CMV-specific cytotoxic T lymphocytes were generated at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. And it was interesting to see it's, it's not one size fits all, right? There's a library of these cell lines based on HLA allele and other epitopic characteristics. To all of you, do you think this is a treatment that potentially could be widely accessible if it were confirmed, you know, in terms of its efficacy? And what would be some of the possible barriers to its adoption, do you think? It's, it's the sort of therapy today that requires a highly skilled laboratory to generate. And there's, um, and Sloan Kettering has this laboratory under GMV conditions to generate this large library. And I think 98 plus percent of patients, they can find a match within that library based on HLA matching. But each of those patients has to be go through an IND approval through the FDA because it's an off-label new type of drug that takes several weeks and a, a fair bit of manpower. And then um, historically, they have either come to New York so that they can get those weekly infusions at Memorial Sloan Kettering, they have to be done at an infusion center where their systemic vitals are monitored, um, or they package them and ship them frozen to an, a, another cancer center, uh, infusion center, and they can be given there, but not the most accessible. You, you don't have to be able to come to New York, but it does require a lot of coordination between two, two highly skilled cancer centers and shipping those things over and a lot of paperwork in terms of HLA matching, um, some other lab testing and um, FDA IND approval for every single patient takes a couple of weeks to put together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about the cost, Murnali, if I can ask, of this process and how, how is that covered? So to date, it's covered under some research funding that they have at Sloan Kettering. And so patients are not charged, have not been charged to date for these infusions, but those have, who have come to New York, there's cost associated with that. A subset have gotten their infusions elsewhere. It's certainly not a uh, at this point like mainstream thing. And and even if it were, again, our current therapies for CMV retinitis are really good and have very very little risk. This is a rescue last resort sort of therapy that um, we kind of have moved mountains for every patient, whether it's coordinating with their. Uh, retina specialist elsewhere and then having them come see us and they, they come every week for infusions or shipping elsewhere. It's It's been a big project for each and every one of these cases. Great. And I also want to take a moment to just focus on safety, which is always first and foremost, especially in treatments that are not necessarily as well established. So Brian, I want to ask, you, you know, it seems like 
these treatments were pretty well tolerated by those patients. There were no cases of immune recovery uveitis, which is something that completely makes sense in terms of being suspicious for that. There was one case of new onset CME that responded well to treatment, like Mernali said, and there were two cases of retinal detachments, but we know that that can be part of the natural history in CMV retinitis progression. So let me, let me ask you, what were your impressions of the safety data? Any concerns that you have? Um, so, so first off, I'm not sure that uh, the safety data here would be generalizable to the, the sort of CMB retinitis population at large. Um, you know, most of the patients in the study were either, you know, status post bone marrow transplant or status post solid organ transplant, as opposed to, you know, the general population uh, where most patients who get CMB retinitis uh, have AIDS. Um, and so, you know, having undergone either bone marrow transplantation or solid organ transplant, a lot of these folks were on systemic immunosuppression, uh, presumably, which probably helped suppress what would have otherwise been um, an inflammatory response. Uh, I think it's, it's great that, um, you know, the, the safety data were as good as they were, um, but I don't know that we would or should expect uh, something similar if, you know, the CMB retinitis patients that we're seeing sort of, you know, de novo out in the, out in, you know, the community uh, were to receive similar treatment. Um, as far as retinal detachments go, uh, this seemed actually sort of on the low side, considering the length of follow-up that most of these patients had. Um, so it would be very interesting to see with longitudinal prospective data, whether or not um, that continues to sort of hold true. Um, you know, generally speaking, you know, as many as 50% uh, per year, you know, CMB retinitis patients will go on to develop regmatogenous attachments. So if, if it's 20% of everybody who gets treated uh, with, with CTLs, I think that would be great. Great, thank you. And to wrap things up, just one final question for the lead author of our, of our paper here today, Mernali. Do you think this type of adoptive cell transfer and adoptive immunity could be feasible and, and translatable in other disease states? You know, I think the, the interest, one of the interesting side pieces of information from the study that I mentioned earlier was that it's interesting that the cells even got to the retina. Um, in this immune privileged tissue, but it's an inflamed retina. The blood retina barrier is not as good as, as it would be normally. There are um, adoptive immunotherapy approaches being considered for other uh, herpetic viruses um, that are being explored systemically. And so if that panned out and we all know how hard it is sometimes to treat our ARN patients, uh, is that a possibility? Who knows? It's way in the future, um, but I think the, the fact that the cells even got there is, is interesting. I don't see it as being a big um, opportunity for, for other diseases, for non-infectious conditions, just weighing the risks and benefits and things like that. Well, thank you for those comments, guys. Really interesting paper. Congrats again to Mernali and her colleagues on this work, and we look forward to seeing more data in the future. Thank you to my panelists one more time, Drs. Mernali Gupta, Dimitra Skandra, and Brian Doe for their excellent insights today. Always great to work with you all. And last but not least, thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to New Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. We hope you learned something new today and don't forget to stay tuned for future episodes.